0: We are going to be in the book of Daniel. As you can see, we're gonna turn to Daniel chapter four today. That's the passage we'll be working out of. Um, As you can see, our overarching theme of our series is Daniel Courageous Character, Daniel Courageous Character. The title of today's sermon is How to Save the Proud, How to Save the Proud, or you could even write if you want to, How to Save the Prideful. Um, As you're turning there, and we're setting up to go through this passage, I just want to ask you this question that will kind of guide us through um, our time in this passage and what it means to us is, who wears the crown of your life? Who wears the crown over your life? What's really cool about this particular chapter out of the book of Daniel, because Daniel's pretty much like an autobiography written by Daniel coming through most of the passage, right? Is that we come to Daniel chapter four, and it's actually the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, From Nebuchadnezzar. And I think that that speaks volumes as to what Daniel thought of when he read this and also experienced it firsthand. But I just want to give you a little like a synopsis of what we're dealing with. This is the last time we're going to hear from Nebuchadnezzar in the Word, it's his testimony. And why is this so important? It's because we're going to hear the testimony of a man who struggles to surrender his life to the Lord. And I'm gonna ask you this question about Nebuchadnezzar and to just kind of tuck this away and then we'll see what your answer is at the end of the sermon. Do you think we will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? It's interesting. It's interesting. Knowing everything you might know about Ezra or, or Nebuchadnezzar or maybe you learned from him today, do you think we will see him in heaven after reading this chapter and spending time with it? I really hope so because I think he'll be an interesting guy to talk to. But Nebuchadnezzar, just to give you uh, an exploration into the man, The Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who was at the height of an empire, right, that was conquering other empires. You guys understand that he wasn't just in a place in a time where he was conquering other nations. He was leading an empire that was conquering other empires, just to give you the mode of success he was in. So he was a man that had everything he could want at the time. He had wealth, power, fame, everything, but he was spiritually bankrupt, completely. I mean, here's someone who could call up any pleasure that he wanted at the time, but he could not afford to see the truth. Uh, How would he eventually arrive to the truth? It wasn't until the world was taken away from him, his world. When he hit rock bottom, then he was able to see through crisis what the truth is. And so maybe this is gonna resonate to somebody maybe you know about or maybe somebody in your family or maybe it might resonate to you personally. I'm gonna ask this question if it sounds like you. Life is good, but my soul is empty. There's something missing, and I need something, and that something is God. Or life is terrible, and now my soul is completely thirsty for the Lord. Lord, where are you, right? It's like trench warfare, right? There's no atheist down in the trench in the middle of a battle, right? They're all calling out to God. Why? Because the need is so great. And so do both need God? Yes, but of the two, who is desperately looking for God? the one whose need is so great physically. But when we tend to have our physical needs taken care of, our our conveniences and our comfort, we tend to kind of be a little numb to the sensitivity to our great need to the Lord. We would say it this way. We're probably spiritually blind to the idea of how much we need God. And so this is what this passage is about. How do we save the people that are proud? Well, God definitely has a plan, and we're going to show you that through Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's life, verses four. Now, uh, sorry, chapter four. Now, as we go through the scripture, I want you to notice this first couple of verses, how Nebuchadnezzar opens up and starts talking about Daniel's Hebrew God. Look at me, verse one, chapter four. He says it this way. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and the wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. That's shocking to hear from a pagan heathen king, isn't it? But it reads like a Psalms. You can almost think, like David wrote that, right? David wrote that in the book of Psalms. But it's, that's his experience, and that's how he's opening up. Now, he's going to take us through his experience. Look at verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. I was lying in bed, and the images and the visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians and the enchanters, the astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. Funny that he uses his Jewish name. Isn't that interesting? Remember, they, they switch his name. So at this time, when he's writing this letter, he's saying, Daniel, the Jewish guy, with his Jewish God, came to me. But then he later says this, he, he was called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Look at verse nine. I said to, this is Daniel he's talking about, Belteshazzar, chief of magicians. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches from it. Every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it, And the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots be bound with iron and bronze. Remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let him be given to the mind of an animal. Till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. The verdict so that the living may know that the Most High, notice that's in capital in most of your versions, Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I had, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And you can see what's interesting about this is that Nebuchadnezzar is turning towards Daniel and acknowledging that there's a power inside of the Lord. Now, that person that he's relating to is Daniel because he sees the power of the Lord on Daniel. But I want to put this in perspective for you because we've read chapters 1, 2, and 3. This is not Nebuchadnezzar's first encounter with the Lord. This, God's, God's been in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And it's not even like God's been in Daniel's life and then all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar noticed that God's been in Daniel's, you know, in, in, in and around what he's doing. But it's actually been in Nebuchadnezzar's life directly. Um, I don't know if you remember this. We're gonna take a rewind for when Pastor Ryan taught. In uh, chapter two, we had another situation where Nebuchadnezzar, old Neb, was laying up on his bed, and he couldn't sleep because he was terrified of another dream, and God interpreted that dream through Daniel. And you can see what was Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to it. Look on the screen, Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of uh, mysteries, for you were able to reveal this uh, mystery. Now, what's fascinating about that is he's not just responding like, thank you, Daniel. I'll, I'll call on you when I need you next. He's actually declaring God that Daniel serves over all the gods. You understand he's a pagan king and he serves multiple gods himself. And he's saying, wait a minute, I've served gods and I've seen some things, but when your God enters the room, there ain't nobody that's topping what he can do. And so therefore, what is he saying? Surely your God is the God of gods. That's a huge you know—a revelation from a guy to profess that in front of these people. And so what he's saying is, I'm getting a glimpse into who God really is. Now we're going to go into chapter three. I don't know if you remember when Pastor Ryan did a great job of explaining how that went down. Just a recap for you. There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are Daniel's friends. And they were given the task of bowing down before a statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built, right? So he had this giant statue, and he said, everyone's going to see the statue, and they're going to kneel before it and worship it, as in worship to me. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we will not do that, because we only serve one living God, and we only worship one living God. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you an out. They said, no, thank you. We can only serve one God. So he says, We're going to execute you by throwing you into a fiery furnace. But this time, we're going to heat it up seven times hotter. And it was so hot that when the guards dragged the guys over to throw them in there, even the guards died. But Nebuchadnezzar had a personal experience there. He looked into the fire, and he saw the three men, but then he saw somebody else. And I just want to let you know how supernatural this moment is. It didn't just happen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Because when he looked in the fire, and then the guys came out, you're going to remember what Pastor Ryan said. The ropes burned off their arms, but they didn't even smell like smoke. So their clothes were fine, their hairs were fine, their eyebrows were fine, but they didn't even have the smell of smoke. That's supernatural. And Nebuchadnezzar says this in chapter 3, verse 28. Look what he says. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be. That's praise. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Now look, he notices what their goal was. Their goal was to worship. They said, they trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Just so you guys know, Nebuchadnezzar would be so moved by this moment. He would make a national decree and a policy that if you even talk trash about the Jewish god, you would be cut up into pieces. That's kind of amazing to see, to make that kind of acknowledgement. Not only am I acknowledging that nobody can deliver like God, I'm defending God. So chapter 2, God has been in Nebuchadnezzar's life, why? Because he he interpreted a dream, right? Right through Daniel. Chapter three, he saw the fiery furnace and he saw a Christophany, like a, a personage of God standing in the fire with the three guys. So he's experienced this for himself. It's not like he's heard about it or you know Daniel's just been a great God follower and that's what he's saying. No, he's seen the work of the Lord. So what is old Neb doing at this point? Is he wowed by God? Yes. Is he praising God? Yes, is he even defending God? Yes, is he following God? No. Is he surrendering to God? No, no, not at all. Uh, That's a huge word for us today. You could be in church. You could call yourself a great Christian. You could be in your word. You could even have a Z88.3 bumper sticker on your car. (laughs) That does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? When you love and follow and have faith in the one true living God for your life. And so that's what we're doing. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we could kind of give him, let's give him a little bit of a break here. He could say, I have reasons to be proud. I have reasons to rely on myself. He could say, I have taken this nation of Babylon and brought it to the heights, right? Like it was a nothing and now it's a something and not even that. He's turned Babylon the city into one of the seven wonders of the world, right? People come here just to marvel at all the work and riches I have poured into this place. I'm a self-made man. I'm proud. I'm a conqueror. I'm a king. You could say all these things, but what he would fail to realize and probably something Daniel could have brought to his head and I wanna put it in front of you, that this was prophesied by God 100 years before. God would say that eventually Babylon would come and take up the people of Israel and take them into exile and captivity. So if this was brought before Nebuchadnezzar, like let's say as a word, and then Nebuchadnezzar experienced God for himself, what would you say would be more powerful? The man who walked into prophecy or the one who made the prophecy? The one who's just showing up and doing everything that God said would happen or the God that made things happen? That's where we are. We're in a place where we need to know, we need to acknowledge God for who He is. He's the one that writes our life. But in Neb's life, there's only King Neb, right? So he's saying to God, I love you. I think you're great. I think you're wonderful. I'm king. That's a weird position, right? But how many of us have done that today? I love the Lord. I love going to church. I love hearing the word of the Lord. But I got my own plans, Lord. So for for Nebuchadnezzar, we could even say it this way. Maybe God is good for the people that need him. I don't need you. I don't need you. And yet, amazingly, God pursues this king, doesn't he? God pursues him time and time again. Now, why did God pursue Nebuchadnezzar? I want you to look at Romans chapter 5 on the screen. And this is true for us today. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, what is he proving? His love. But what does that love do? Look at the proof. God pursues us because he loves us and knows that without his love, we are doomed in our sin. You know, you could look at Nebuchadnezzar and his relationship with God and be like, it's a pagan king against the heavenly father. But really what you could say is there is a heavenly king that's not satisfied to let this pagan king ruin his life for eternity. The only thing that's standing in between God and this earthly king is the earthly king's pride. And God's not satisfied to let us alone and be in our prides. That's the gospel message. The gospel message is, and this is the good news, God loves you despite you. Despite how ridiculous you are, despite how rebellious you are, despite how prideful you are, the Lord goes, Yeah, but you don't understand you're walking off a cliff and I want to save you from that cliff. Even if you're spiritually blind in your pride, I want to be the one to rescue you because I love you. Now, here's the bad news to the good news. The bad news is is that we might be so prideful and spiritually caught up in ourselves that we are so blind, we don't understand how great the need is. Because if we can't see it, we don't understand it. But the Lord doesn't stop there, does he? Join me in verse 19. Let's see what he has. Daniel is going to interpret this dream for the king so he can understand it better. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let this dream or its meaning alarm you. He can see that Daniel's troubled because it's a little heavy. You don't want to bring the king bad news, right? Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only this dream applied to your enemies... And it's meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw which grew large and strong. With its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth. With beautiful leaves and abundant fruit. Providing food for all. Giving shelter to the wild animals. And having a nesting place in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until, the, until it reaches the sky. And your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. And this is the interpretation. Your majesty, and this is the decree of, look at this, the most high, There's nobody higher than God. This is the decree of the King of heaven has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from the people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times you will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means this or that. Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And so that dream, as we just recap real quick, is the dream, the tree is you. And that tree has a great abundance to it, right? It is flourishing. It's doing well. But it's going to be cut down and it's going to be wrapped up in iron and bronze. Why do we need to know that? Because the Bible usually uses iron and bronze as a sign of judgment. I'm going to cut you off from all the increase in your life. I'm going to cut you off from all the things that you think make you great. All the things that you love, all the things that puff you up, but I won't kill you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to surround you with judgment and you'll have no place to go. That's iron and bronze. And so that judgment is to put you in a position to realize one thing, who's really king? Who's really the king? This is good. This is a good thing because this is the thing that will last forever for Nebuchadnezzar. For him, the earth is one thing, but is it temporary? God is forever. So if you're underlining or highlighting something uh, in your Bible, if you're like me, I actually did this this week. I highlighted it, I circled it, and then I put a ton of arrows pointing at it. Uh, The end of verse 26, your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. This is my verse that I declared to myself this week because I also have personal pride, and I try to get ahead of God, and I try to tell him many things, and he reminds me constantly, you know what, Joey? Uh, you know what's true? This is not your kingdom. It's my kingdom. Would you let me be king, Joey? Everything I have is good. It comes from the Lord, and I just want to remind you um, just of how human we can be sometimes. I can stand before the Lord. And I'm telling you guys, this happens to me all the time. You might laugh, but I think the Lord does this in a very kind and gentle way, but it's pretty funny. Um, I love to challenge God and what he's doing. I'm like, Lord, if you just listen to me, I've got some great plans. And I'm telling you, my life would be so stellar if you could just incorporate my plans with your plans. And immediately I trip over a bright yellow parking space divider. And then the Lord's like, look, you can't even walk in a straight line but you're going to tell me how to run the universe let alone your life and i'm like oh or i'm at home i'm like if you could just if you could just give me the power to do this that and the other thing i'm arguing with god my little kids come up to me we got some kind of like sugar Uh, popcorn. It looks like a llama or I don't know, whatever. They're like, daddy, daddy, make the sugar sugar popcorn. I'm like, fine. So I shut the door of the microwave. I I program it. They go watch the movie and I'm arguing with God the whole time. And next thing I know, I smell something burning. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I pull out the popcorn and the Lord goes, hey, uh, buddy, I've never burned popcorn. (laughs) You're burning popcorn left and right, but you're going to tell me how to run the universe. Who are you stuck in your pride? You can't even get your life right. Everything that is good Has come from the Lord, and that includes his chastisement and his leading me away from myself. Here is a personal revelation that I have had when I was looking at the scripture and I was thinking of Nebuchadnezzar, because you guys do realize that there's a gap from the position of chapter 2 to chapter 4. We've gone across 40 years or sorry, 20 years. We've gone across 20 years. It wasn't like everything happened in a week. I don't know if you like, if you watch a lot of TV shows, it's like previously on Nebuchadnezzar. You know, like you know, like last time you watch whatever TV show. Like you can kind of think it's like week to week to week. No, this is over time. But has God been working on Nebuchadnezzar for 20 years? It wasn't like some new radical thing. It's like God has been working on Nebuchadnezzar for 20 years, and for 20 years, Nebuchadnezzar has been ignoring God. But in this particular position, I realize this. Did you realize that God has been passionately pursuing you since birth? I mean, as far as your realization, God has been passionately pursuing you, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your pride and rebellion. It's God on you. Can I just put this in perspective for you? What would the nation of Israel be, especially, let's say, at the time of Exodus, without God? Would they have made it through the desert? Would they have made it through the Red Sea? Would they even made it in the promised land? It was all God where would you be without Christ? I mean, regardless of what you think of Christ, where would you be? And that's amazing to me. So this is the problems of pride that we're running into with Nebuchadnezzar. I'm gonna give you five things that we see in the scripture, but I'm gonna see how that applies to our life. Five, pri- five problems. Look at this, problems of pride. Your pride puts you in direct opposition to God's authority. Immediately, even if you are like Nebuchadnezzar, I love God, I praise God, I defend God. God says, do this, no thank you. You're not in charge. I am. In fact, what you're saying is I am an enemy of your authority. Even though I love you, I love what you do. It's just not for me. But what does that do? That leads you for your pride to distort the truth. Is Nebuchadnezzar living in distorted truth right now? Absolutely. Is he in charge? He's about to find out who's in charge. Now, as he fails to find out who's in charge, what is it going to lead to? Your pride will lead to destructive behavior. I'm going to tell you this, if you've ever eaten grass for about seven months or seven years, it will do destructive things to your innards. This is the place we are. In our pride, we could deny God. We could run right into destruction, can't we? And in the middle of that, we'll be prevented from going. Like I said, Nebuchadnezzar's had about 20 years with Daniel and God. Is he spiritually growing? You can't say it's for a lack of the presence of God because the presence of God has been on him and near him. So is he denying God? Yes. Is he growing? No. Why? Because he's in his pride caught up in himself. He's self-centered. He is self-righteous. Therefore, he is not growing because the only thing that's going to grow you is the presence of the Holy Spirit of the God to unify you to the one true living God, which then moves you to the next place. Your pride will move you out of God's blessing. Put a pin in that last one because I want you to see how powerful God's blessing is to you when you remove your pride and humility walk towards the Lord. I want you to look at this verse, James 1.17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What is the first word in that verse? Every every good and perfect, not some or circumstantially or the ones that God, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of heavenly lights. We could take from this passage and also this scripture, Neb, you have not brought anything to the table that God didn't prepare. There's not one portion of your life that God didn't even prophesy for in the beginning. If you look at the life of Job, what happened in Job's life? If you guys know anything about Job's life, Satan went up to meet with with God and said, um, you know, I will just take someone, I'll shake them up and they'll curse you to your face. And he's like, have you considered my, my, my servant Job? And the Lord said, he will not, right? But think about this, what does that mean? Job was able to be attacked by Satan because the Lord allowed it. But what was the one thing that God said to Satan, you cannot do, you cannot kill him. And would Satan have the ability to kill Job? No, because the Lord didn't let him. So who's really king? Our circumstances? Satan? No, God. Because God said, Satan, you can do anything you want to him except kill him. And Satan had to abide by the rule and the decree of the king. So everything that is good comes down from the Father of lights. That means everything that is kind and good in your life, anything that you can account as something like, this is what I love, you can say to the Lord, it's already passed through your hands and has your stamp of approval. We have to understand something, that we're not just reading the Bible as history, we're reading the Bible as his story. It is not the history of Jerusalem or the history of Israel or even the history of our faith. It's the story of God. And we are walking through God's story, and guess who has the pen? The Lord. And so the proper perspective that I must take when I'm walking through God's story is he's actually in control of shaping my pride or my humility. I want you to see how Daniel lays that before the king in verse 27. He says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Tell me if you think this is really good advice to a pagan king. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then your prosperity will continue. You know what's incredible about this verse and even the song that we sang today is God has no problem breaking your heart from what breaks his, if that means your salvation and your deliverance. We need to be humbled first, which brings us to our next point. There is only one room, or sorry, there's only room for one king on the throne of your life. There is only room for one king on the throne of your life. It's either gonna be you or God, but for Christ followers, we would say this, Christ followers only have room for God on the throne of our heart. Who rules over your life? Who's in charge? Who's king? Who's queen? If I'm king or if you're king or queen, then guess what? There's no room for God on the throne. But if God is Lord and master over your life, then there's no room for us on the throne. Absolutely no room. And that's why we would say to the Lord, I must decrease so that you can increase. I must be putting my world back into the order that God put in it. There's nothing true like the truth, is there? Is there only one God? Are you God? I'm going to let you know right now you make a horrible God. There's only one God, and he is good. And I'm going to say this, in your pride, if you, if you try to say to the Lord, you know what, the universe is fine, you're doing a great job at church, Lord, but I'm in charge of my life, I sit on the throne of my heart, guess what, your world is temporarily out of order. Now, you have not officially unseated God, right? And we understand that, like, no one can actually take away the throne from God, but we could live like it. We can act like it. We can blindly proceed like that. But the Lord has no problem putting your world back in order because you know what? He has no problem troubling you if it saves you. What we're gonna see is gonna happen to Nebuchadnezzar here shortly. I have no problem flipping the world on its head or flipping your world on your head if it means putting me back on the throne, the Lord says. Now look at how the dream is fulfilled. And I want to say this, it's not only right for the Lord to be on the throne, it is good for the Lord to be on the throne. Follow me on verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is the dream. 12 months later, a year later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? So what is he doing a year later? Patient Lord, Lord, Gave him the dream, gave him the interpretation. A year later, he says, look at me. I'm so great. I'm so wonderful. Look at this city. Highest probably value in the world. Probably the highest on Trulia, right? Of all the real estate in all the world, I've done the most renovations. I've done the greatest. And he was saying, I'm ignoring the prophecies of Isaiah. I'm ignoring what Daniel has interpreted. And I want you to see, it's almost like a movie. God comes flying in. He's waited a year, so don't think God harsh. Has he waited a year? Absolutely. Has he given uh, Nebuchadnezzar a chance to get off of his pride for about a year? That's a long time. Some of you guys don't handle people in traffic cutting you off in 10 seconds. God has given this guy a year. Look what it says, verse 31. Even as the words were on his lip." A voice came from heaven. Look at this interruption. This is what has been decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you for you to acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms and on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. 33 he says immediately what was been said about nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled he was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox he was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw the claws of a bird so nebuchadnezzar really has lost his mind this really happened and he lived in the field like an animal and i want to give you a glimpse of what's happening here on two different levels on one level has god made good on his promises absolutely. Now he can make good on his promises in two different ways. Like if you don't do this, this is what will happen to you, right? There's the don't side, right? If you don't do what I tell you, this is what will happen. Now it's happening. On the good side, there's also good things. Like if you do this, here's the restoration that will come. But remember what I said, when you are in your pride, you get moved out of God's blessing. And when you're outside of God's blessing, you get moved into things that you don't even realize that were you were being held back from. Let me give you the second level that you're seeing here. The second level is, this is almost like an image of hell. Let me explain. What is hell other than the absence of your soul have any access to God except through your impulses and your flesh? This is a man that has been reduced down to no spiritual connection to the Lord. Why? Because his pride got between him and the Lord. Imagine a place in a world in a time where you have given up on God and you have rejected God and now you have no more further access to God. Now this place place in time, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have access, but look what he lives like when he has no access to the Lord in the middle of his pride. He has been reduced to what his pride is, and that's himself. This is a self-righteous man caught up in his own power. And what has he been reduced to? An animal. A flesh without a spirit. That's why the Lord has given him over to his mind. Now, finally, Neb is going to take a place to realize the, real, the who the real true king is, and I want to let you know why this is incredible. Why this is incredible is imagine what clothes the king wore. Imagine the access to the wealth of the world. What kind of Have you ever seen like the steels? It's called the steel. It's like a, a, a stone carving or the paintings or the murals on the wall. What did Nebuchadnezzar look like? He had a fantastic beard. Have you seen that? Probably think of all the essential oils he put in there, the flowers, you know the, the, He was a well-groomed man, and some, the Babylons like to express their power by expressing their richness, right their luxury. He was a man that lived in luxury. Where is he at now? He's sleeping outside. He doesn't even come inside. Now some scholars say the seven times quickly people say seven times have passed. Some people say seven years. Some scholars say seven months. seven months, right? But can you imagine spending one night out and then waking up in the dew, let alone seven years, seven months? It doesn't matter what the time frame is. That's a huge change and shift in his life. Look what happens next. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. He doesn't just acknowledge who God is. He praises who God is, but then says who he is. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Look at verse 35. You're going to hear a shift in his heart. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, which means everybody's under God, including Nebuchadnezzar. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth... That includes Nebuchadnezzar. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? He is saying, I am surrendered to the king of heaven. Look at verse 36. At that time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne. I want to stop right here and just say one thing. Remember I said, when you are in your pride, you're moved out of God's blessings, but when you are in your humility, you are moved into the grace of God's blessings. Look what the next part of the sentence says. And I became even greater than before. Why did this prideful man become even greater than what he was before? Because now he has surrendered his kingdom to the Lord's kingdom, and now the Lord's in charge, and guess what? The blessings are flowing. The blessings are flowing. Because why? Because he has moved out of himself to not be no longer self-righteous, but to be God-righteous. Say, you are king, and my kingdom belongs to your kingdom, and you will do what you please, and I surrender this heart to yours. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt. And exalt would be like the highest level of reverence. Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Do you realize what that last sentence is? He's saying the last seven months or seven years of my life are good because guess what? I am now in the good grace of God all that he does and everything that he has done to me has been good because guess what? I no longer am under the disease of pride. I am under the blessings of humility. I am happy and healthy spiritually because I have acknowledged who God is. I want you to see how First Peter says it. It says it the same way. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your care on him because he cares about you. Do you realize that God didn't send Nebuchadnezzar out into the grass to act like a cow and be covered in dew because he hated Nebuchadnezzar. He cared about Nebuchadnezzar. He loved Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what verse 26 said. It said, your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. But what Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have predicted is that inside of God's blessing and in his humility, he would become greater in the hand of God. See, this is you and your power, but how high are you in God's hands? You You are raised to the highest heights that God wants to raise you. We cannot raise ourselves to the level that God wants to raise us. We cannot do that on our own. So that brings us to our next point. God often cures the disease of pride with a prescription of humility. If Nebuchadnezzar was here this morning, he would say to you right here, right now, this is a good thing if it saves you from yourself and into the loving arms of God. So I'm gonna ask you this question as you're looking at that slide. What would it take for you to move off God's throne? Would God have to move you out into the field, make you eat grass, cover you in dew? Would God have to break your heart from what's currently breaking his? Would you have to give up something? Would you have to declare God over something in your life that you are just wrestling for control I wrote this in a devotional time that I had with the Lord this week. What would it take for you, Joey, for God to convince you to trust God enough in this area to surrender your life to Him? You know, for about 30 years, God has been revealing Himself to Nebuchadnezzar time and time and time again. And if He was saying the whole time, Yes, God, you're great. Yes, you're awesome. I don't need to follow you. And then think about the Lord sent him out to the field and he became acting like a cow for seven months or seven years. Who cares what the time is? How long would it have been if immediately, I'm giving you a little like spoiler alert there. How long would it have been if he walked away from his pride right away? See, the only reason he was out in the field for the seven months or seven years or whatever it is, is because of his pride. And where was the Lord? Right there waiting for him right there ready to bless him, right there ready to restore him, right there ready to redeem him, right there to take this pagan king and give him his own chapter in one of the best books of the Bible. Can you imagine that? A pagan king going, wait, the God, the Jewish God, the God of heaven is gonna give me a chapter in the middle of Daniel because all I did was follow and surrender? Amazing when you walk in the ways of the Lord. And I just think about this. If you were God and you were over Nebuchadnezzar at this time, would you have been as patient? I'd have been like, if I have electricity, I would love to electrocute this dude for rejecting me over and over and over again. Aren't you glad that I'm not God? Is God supremely patient with Nebuchadnezzar? Is he patient with you? You know, something I realize as I'm reading this and I think about all the ridiculousness that I've brought to God, I just think about this, I don't deserve God's time. I don't deserve God's patience at all. And yet the Lord has been so long suffering with me, walking me through my, my, my impatience, my fear, my doubt, my anxiety that I hold over him just to say, Joey, I'm right here. If you would just walk away from your version of what you think I should do and just let me be God, I'm ready to restore you. I'm ready to bless you. In fact, I'm ready to make you greater than you were before if you would just let me love you. So here is a litmus test for us to see how we are doing through this scripture. Let me ask you this question. Can we all agree that God is kind, loving, and good? Okay, if he is that good to us, are we living in a way that we need him, that God? Are we living for that God? Do you trust him? If he's kind, loving, and patient, are you doing everything that he's saying? And if the answer is yes, then great job. But if the answer is no, then that's the area where you might have an issue with pride. That might be the area that you're struggling with God today. Like, God, I love you. I know you're good, but I can't give up control in this area because what it would mean for me to give up control would mean I would have to let go of whatever I think I am or what the situation is Be I'm afraid, Lord. I'm afraid of the unknowns. Guess what? Your whole life is a series of unknowns. You don't know what's going to happen after service today. And yet the Lord stands over and goes, I have written out your life with my pen. Will you just trust me? Would you set down your pride and walk in humility and let me be the one who's delivered you? If you are in a place right now that you are being separated from God and his will because of your pride, all you have to do is come before the Lord and lay it down. He understands. He wants to save you. He wants to be kind and deliver you. He wants to take whatever temporary thing is struggling right now that you're you're wrestling with and say, let me put my eternal treasure on it. Let me put me. I want to show you this place, Philippians chapter two, that's so incredible. I want you to hear all the description of all the people that will acknowledge their humility before the Lord anyways. Philippians two. It says, at the time of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and of those under the earth. By the way, that's everybody. That's everybody alive. That's everybody in heaven. That's everybody buried. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I just want to take a moment and I want to say it to you this way. Imagine we're in heaven. Do you think we'll see Nebuchadnezzar? After you read this chapter, if you heard what the Lord has said, if you've heard what Nebuchadnezzar said, do you think we'll see Nebuchadnezzar walk into those pearly gates? Imagine you're there with Pastor Ryan in the lobby of heaven and you're drinking that great heavenly coffee with its great heavenly cream, right? Right? And you see Nebuchadnezzar walk up and you see him make a beeline for Jesus Christ and you see him fall to his knees and he says, he says these words to Jesus, Lord, here I am, your humble servant. All that I have is yours. I love you. Wouldn't you just be like, oh, wow. But on the flip side, wouldn't it be amazing when Jesus bends down and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Who's gonna stand before God in that moment with any amount of pride. Who's gonna stand before the Lord and go, I'm so glad that you have me here today. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome, Jesus. Who's gonna stand before the Lord and go, can I show you my LinkedIn resume? It's incredible. Wait till you get a gander at this, Jesus. No, you're not gonna have any pride because you're gonna realize who the true king of heaven is. And we're gonna kneel down before the Lord and we're gonna want to kneel down before the Lord because we get to kneel down before the Lord. Um, I want to read this one last verse. It's Revelations 21, and this is where we'll close. And this is why I would like to say these words. I would rather bless the Lord with my surrender than annoy him with my pride. Look at Revelations 21 on the screen. This is all the, the place that all of us in the kingdom are headed for. Verse one says, and then I saw a new heaven and earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That includes Babylon for Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know what your Babylon is, but whatever you're hanging on to, guess what, it's gone by this point. So you can't even point to that thing as a place of pride. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. Look at this next verse: They will be His people; every person will be His person. Like He'll be in charge; He'll be king. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't it amazing? There's no other hierarchy there. There's God and everybody else. There's no place for pride. There's no place. Uh, for self-righteousness. There's only, I cannot believe I'm here with you, God, for eternity. Thank you so much. That's it. God, you're God and I'm not. Now look at the next part. This is how he proves himself to be God because none of us can do this. Look at verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. I cannot offer you the place in life that I can remove your mourning or your crying or your pain, but Jesus can. That's a king. Not only that, when he decreed death to be done, he, when he cre- decreed death to die, he removed death completely. I can't do that. You can't do that. Only God can do that. That's the true living king. We will live in a world where the king says, no more death, and there'll be no more death. Look at this. For the old older of things has passed away. How does God save the proud? By stepping you into loving humility. Loving Humility which opens the doors to boundless levels of grace if you would just let God do it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna stop here and we're gonna pray and we're gonna acknowledge our need for our Lord and we're gonna step into the role as servants to the great King. Let's do that together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now that if there's anybody in this room that is needing to call on God or call out to the Lord to say, I am in a place of pride. I have been struggling. I haven't let go. I have not given to you, Lord. I want to give you. I want to let you rule and reign. But it's difficult for me, Lord, because if I gave up control, I don't know what that means for me. But that means I'd have to move in a place of faith, a place of trust, and trust who you are, and trust your heart. God, you have proven through this passage and many other verses, and even in the role of my salvation, that you are a kind God, a loving God, you're a compassionate God. Your mercies are new every day. Lord, if we would just confess our sins, you would restore us and probably make us greater than we could even possibly think or imagine. But that would mean me stepping away from the throne of my heart. Today, I exit the throne and I say, Lord, you belong there. My body is your temple. My throne is your heart. Rule and reign. I belong to you. I want you to be my God and I want to be your person. And I want to be with you forever. And I want to walk into eternity from here to there, starting with this declaration. You are God and I am not. And I love you for it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.